The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The scripture text for our sermon today is found in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Garrisons, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter them. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them about the demon-possessed man, how he had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with a great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man whom the demons had gone out begged that he might come with him. But Jesus said to him, But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Our text this morning is the, the second in a series of three accounts in Luke 8 in which Jesus demonstrates his divinity. First by, we looked at this last week, showing his sovereign power over creation. And this week by showing his sovereign power over Satan and his kingdom of darkness. And then next week... Um, Pastor Rene will be preaching, and in that text, we'll see Jesus demonstrating his sovereign power over sickness and death. So there's three accounts in a row, all highlighting the divinity of Christ by showing his sovereign authority and power over these three realms that we have little to no control over. So my aim this morning is uh, <laughs> the Gospel of Luke is written so that you see Jesus. I mean, it's what the book is about. The book is about Jesus. It's like the whole Bible is about Jesus. So my aim is that you would see Jesus. 
See him as the son of God, the son of the most high God. That you'd see, I don't know if you noticed when the text ended. Tell what God has done. So he went about telling what Jesus had done. You'd see Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, the son of the most high God, and that you would trust and treasure and worship him. That's my aim. And related, my my worry is that we might make much of the devil from this message. No, no, no. See Jesus, treasure him, and as, as we say in the baptisms, renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways. They're my aims. Father in heaven, help us now as we look into your word. I pray for eyes of faith to see you anew. New graces to see you in the work of Christ. Draw us close. He is the, the son of the almighty God. And I pray that you'd gather us in to love and worship and trust. And I do pray that you would be at work freeing us, your people, these people here, from the penalty of sin by the death of Christ and the power of sin by the death of Christ and the authority of Christ. So come, bless us, I pray. In this text, in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you remember last week, it was the unforgettable night on the Sea of Galilee in which Jesus and the disciples were caught in a storm that was threatening to kill them. That's what the disciples said. We're going to perish. And Jesus spoke and stilled the storm and all got calm and... and, uh, Thereby, Jesus demonstrated his sovereign, divine authority over nature. And now they arrive to their destination on the other side of the Sea of Galilee uh, at uh, Gerizim. And it's, it's described as on the opposite shore of the town of Galilee. So it's, they cross the Sea of Galilee. And it is the land of the Gentiles. And, and uh, you need, need look no further than reading our text, it's a place where people raise pigs. It's Gentile territory. And uh, you think, wait, what's Jesus doing here? I mean, he has been preaching the gospel, speaking the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And, and we know he speaks the gospel to the Samaritans. But here, here, Jesus is going to the nations, to the Gentiles. <laughs> Why do we care about world missions? Let's climb into the story now. As soon as Jesus and his disciples set foot on the shore, they were approached, verse 27, by a man from the city who had demons. Matthew's account actually says that there were two demoniacs that approached Jesus, quote, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way, Matthew 8, 28. So 
I had to stop and say, well, why, do you th- why is it that Matthew mentions two demoniacs and Luke and Mark only mention one? And, and I'll tell you why. I think, I, I think that's the case. It's because Luke and Mark wanted to focus in on the demoniac from whom Jesus cast out all these demons and who became the first missionary that Jesus sent to the nations. Just wanted to highlight him. I don't know what happened to the other one because the text doesn't say. This demoniac is described... Matthew's word was fierce. I mentioned that already. Fierce. It's a word used in in James 3 of strong, destructive winds that can't be controlled. And it's a word used of of false teachers in Matthew 7, 15. Ravenous wolves. Fierce wolves are those false teachers. Fierce. This demoniac is fierce, meaning... He's dangerous. He can't be controlled. He, he might destroy you like a, like a hurricane or like a, a hungry wolf. So he's fierce. He's naked. He has no clothes on, and he has not had clothes on for a long time. He's sleeping among the tombs in the cemetery. He's living like a, like, a, like a wild dog. And he's... The demons have stripped him of his human dignity. Fierce, naked, homeless. And he's self-destructive. It says, verse uh, 5 of Mark 5... Parallel accounts. This account shows up in all three of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark 5 says he was going about cutting himself with stones. If you're a person here, perhaps a young woman, who is cutting yourself? Notice here. Cutting yourself is what the demons made this man do. Get some help. Get some help. Fierce, naked, homeless, self-destructive, uncontrollable. I mean, today, if this guy was running around, you know what, we, you know what would happen? We, we would call 911 or 311, or we would take him in to Hennepin County Medical Center down the street, and they would medicate him to control him, control his mind, control his body. It's kind of what they did here, except without medication, whether his family members or the community sought to restrain him. Verse 29, they kept him under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. 
So they tried to contain him. Mark 5, 4 adds, no one had the strength to subdue him. Fierce, naked, homeless, self-destructive, uncontrollable. So Jesus sent the disciples land, and it's morning. They had the night that they had on the, on the sea. They set foot, and immediately they're in another life-threatening situation. Not unlike the storm. We do not have, here's the parallels. We do not have the authority or power to control the forces of nature like Hurricane Daniel that in the middle of the night made 10,000 people disappear. Neither do we have the authority or power to control the powers of the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus does. That's what these two accounts are about. Next week is about. Jesus does. I just thought right here I would just do a quick review of Satan and demons and evil spirits in the Bible. So this is, this is going to be quick. I mean, in popular language, we would say, that man is demon-possessed. And the more biblically accurate phrase would be, that man has demons. Almost the other way around. That man possesses a demon. Or he's a demoniac. I think it's more helpful language. It's biblical language. And, and, I mean, Satan and, and the work of the demonic is all through the Bible. Um, Satan and demons are active in all sorts of physical afflictions, speech impairments, blindness, seizures. They're demoniacs. Uh, King Saul, after he disobeyed God, remember this? An evil spirit came into him to torment him into depression and murderous rage. 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19. Satan entered Judas to betray Jesus. Peter's denial was a temptation of Satan. Satan was at work in the early church in, in, uh, in Annas and Ananias and Sapphira's lying to the church about their generosity. Acts 5. Demons were involved in the fortune-telling of a slave girl in Acts 16. Acts 19, there's demons involved in occult magic, which is like horoscopes and fortune-telling and witchcraft. The other thing demons are, are described as doing in the Bible, just like Satan, is promoting the worship of Idols really worship at anything and anyone but God. And a question might pop into your head, you know, after reading this passage, you might think, well, okay, we read the passage. It looks pretty wild. And we see in the Bible the activity of Satan and, and demons. Why aren't incidents like this more common? They do happen. In fact, we had one in this church maybe four or five years ago. 
And it's happening all over the world. But why isn't it more common in, all cul- in our culture today? And, and I think C.S. Lewis is right when he basically says, well, our culture is so spiritually dead, so dead to the spiritual world. Why would they show themselves? <laughs> because, because they don't care if you know that they exist. Their mission is that you don't worship God and that they rob God of his glory and that you join them in eternal punishment. One more, a couple more things. Since believers belong to Christ by the purchase of his blood, I think it's biblically accurate and true to say believers cannot belong to the devil, cannot be possessed by the devil, but we can be influenced by the devil. Demons are involved, I mean, just like Satan in the beginning, you know, did God really say in twisting the truth? Demons are involved in leading people away from the truth. Thus they're called deceitful spirits, promoting, this is 1 Timothy 4, the teaching of demons. I mean, in that phrase, I mean, here's, here's how that phrase makes sense. I mean, lands on me. How can we explain how can we explain the, the total transformation of thinking in my lifetime on gender? The creation of human beings, male and female, and gender relates to biological sex. For millennium, people have believed that. How did that disappear in the last 30 years? Or homosexual so-called marriage. How, did, how, does people, how do people start believing this stuff? Like, boom. Or the elevation of the worth of plants and animals and earth at the same time devaluing human life. I heard a commercial on the radio during the Twins game. It was all about kindness. And I thought, oh, they're calling people to be kind to each other. No, they're calling you to be kind to a dog. They're called deceitful spirits promoting the teachings of demons. And I think one of the ways to see that is they have been promoting, demonic teaching has taken over. Our culture is spreading out throughout the world, and if you want to know what they're attacking is Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. In the beginning, God. God created human beings in his image, male and female. The reality of sin. The place of marriage and procreation. (sighs) 
So we're called, commanded to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. James 4, 7. I like the image of Joseph. <laughs> Remember Joseph? Uh, Potiphar's wife says, come and lie with me. And, and Joseph takes off so fast he leaves his clothes behind, his coat behind. <laughs> Bam, flee. We're called to resist the devil that he may flee from us. We're called to be watchful. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Resist him. Fight to believe the truth of God. Believe it. Believe it. Fight the Satan by believing the truth of God. Don't fall for the deception. Because if you do, he may destroy you. And then thirdly, the Bible teaches us. This, one, this one's more sneaky, subtle, and probably more common than, uh, you know, the, the kinds of things in our text. Definitely more common. This is, this is Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, how does that work? Anger. We give opportunity to the devil by nursing our anger. A lingering anger turns sour and sinful. Unchecked by repentance and faith, it opens the door for the devil to devour you. Harbored anger turns into bitterness, and bitterness becomes self-justified slander and gossip and revenge and maybe worse. Harbored anger breaks up marriages and breaks up parent-child relationships, blows up families and, and communities and churches and nations. And most importantly, harbored anger breaks your relationship with God. It's sin. That's how. That's how anger works to give an opportunity to the devil. Here's another one. Last week I spoke at the Godward Life Seminar and my assignment was David the Repentant Sinner. I'm just going to put David's situation into this Ephesians 4 text not to give an opportunity to the devil. David provided an opportunity for the devil by nursing his sight of Bathsheba bathing on her roof into lust. 
And from lust, it turned into an abuse of his power to abduct her. He sent his men, soldiers, the king wants you, come. And from the abuse of his power, he raped her. And from there, that sin led to several lies to cover it up, which culminated in murder. The command to give no opportunity to the devil in Ephesians 4.27 is a call to quick repentance and faith. Anger, don't let it last a day. That's what it says. Lust, I, I, I quoted uh, Martin Luther, uh, basically saying, well, it's one thing to have a, a bird fly over your head. It's another thing to let it nest in your hair. He's talking about lust. Give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, let not your sexual desires lead to lust, pornography, sex outside of biblical boundaries such as adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, or bizarre sexual perversions. Let not your desire to earn money lead to greed and lack of generosity and cheating on your taxes or stealing time and money from your employer or embezzling. The, the, the application of the the principle, the applications are many. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, on your sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. So, dozens of times a day, maybe, maybe hundreds of times a day, we face two choices, to live by faith in the sufficiency of Christ and all that he is and promises to be for us, that he's enough, or we're tempted to sin by not believing that Jesus is enough and the promises of sin and Satan offers a better way. So when a doorway to sin is before you, the Bible's calling us to to resist the devil, be on watch, repent quickly. Don't go into that room because you might not be able to get out. It might be a room into slavery, to sin. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. <laughs> and when we do sin, you do know your only hope is to is to find Jesus, or better, like the song says, he will find you. Run to him. Back into our passage now. I mean, the, the run to him. You know, I thought about this. I thought, isn't it interesting that he, this guy is full of the, the demonic presence, and yet Jesus shows up on the shore, and the guy's feet are moving toward Jesus. I just wonder if he's in his right mind enough in his feet to go to Jesus. So approaching Jesus, the man falls down at Jesus' feet, and 
Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That's verse 29. And the demons loudly replied, this is verse 28, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't it ironic? Totally ironic. The the, the disciples, after Jesus stilled the storm, go, Who is this guy that he controls the weather? But the demons know. He's the son of the most high God. Just like Satan knew in the wilderness. This is the son of the most high God. They know he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the king of the king of the kings, the son of God, and they know it, and they fall down at his, on, on their knees or on their faces, and they beg, I beg you, do not tor- torment me. Verse 28 again. Matthew's account adds, this that they said. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Matthew 8, 29. So, these demons in this man not only know that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, they know that there is a day appointed predetermined, a day in which God will judge all people, Satan and demons, everyone and everything according to his justice. And those apart from his salvation in Christ, he will sentence to eternal punishment Matthew 25, 41 describes it this way. Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They know there's a day of judgment coming. And they also know that the judge is the one they're standing before. Jesus. They're asking the judge for mercy. Jesus asks the demoniac, what is your name? This is the only account in in the Gospels that I can see that Jesus asked the demons a question. The only time. What is your name? And he said, this is verse 30, Legion, for many demons had entered him. That's like saying, my name is Battalion. A Roman legion was made up of 6,000 soldiers. Whether that's the, you know, The exact count or not, I think the point is Jesus is facing 
a massive army of demonic powers second only to his facing Satan himself in the wilderness. Seeing a large herd of pigs grazing on the hillside, the demons begged Jesus, send us into into them. And the text says Jesus gave them permission. And as their herdsmen looked on, the demons entered the pigs, and the pigs drowned. They went off a cliff and drowned into the lake. So now the herdsmen, having lost their flocks and livelihood to the demons, fled into town and told everybody about it so that the people in town came out to see what was happening. And what did they see? They see Jesus. They see that crazy wild man in his right mind. And they see a bunch of dead pigs in the lake. They see, here, this is verse 35. They see the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They're afraid. It's like they, they see the power of Jesus and they're afraid. And the people that had seen it, this is verse 36, tell the people from the town, here's what happened. Jesus said this, and, he, and then they went in, and then they went over the cliff. And then th- verse 35 here, again, and all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked him to depart, oh, excuse me, verse 37, asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. They're afraid of Jesus. The people of the town, the herdsmen, they're afraid. It's an encounter with the divine. I think of a couple of passages. This, you know, Peter, when, when he... When he sees Jesus walking on water and he says to Jesus, away from me for I'm a sinful man. The divinity of Jesus causes them to say, I'm in for judgment. You need to leave. I need to leave. (laughs) Praise God for the gospel. could also be, oh, here, there's one person, (laughs) there's only one person in that land that didn't say, Jesus, get away from me. There's only one. (laughs) I mean, he had come into contact with the sovereign, almighty, divine power of Jesus. But you know what? He also came into contact with the Loving kindness, the steadfast love, the great mercy, and the grace of Jesus. He's not afraid of him. If you think about that song, Jesus strong, omnipotent, mighty God, and Jesus kind, the kindness of God. 
the compassion of God, the grace of God to us. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came. That we would not fear him, run away from him, but that he would die for our sins and free us from the penalty of our sins and its power. So this, 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 the man who was the demoniac, I can't call him that anymore, the man, I wish he had a name, he's the only person who doesn't say, get away from me. He says, rather, uh, take me with you. Take me with you, Jesus. Let me, let me be one of your followers. Go with the disciples. In verse 38, Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Free from the power of the devil, free to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel of Christ and the mercy and grace of God, Jesus commissions him as the, as the first missionary to the nations. You know, global focus is coming up soon. Perhaps the Lord has a similar sending for some of you here. You've been through whatever you've been through with, with, with sin and evil and Jesus has broken in with his power and forgiven your sins and has set you free. And, and you might think, well, like, well, what do I do now? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. And let me say one more thing, and that is, I hope you're really glad that as a church, we value this. Sending some. I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples that he took with him back into Israel. Sending some, some of us to the nations. I, I, I hope you're really, really, really glad that we're a world missions church. We're a sending church. We're a hold the rope church. We're a welcome them back church. And we're a church that comes around our global partners when it has been really hard and really challenging and, uh, and the losses have piled up. I just hope you're really glad that we're a go church. You know what I'm talking about? By five, we're a go church. Father in heaven, I praise you that by the work of Christ, we have been freed from the penalty of our sin. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead to bring us to you. The penalty is gone. He has paid it for us. And I pray now, that, well, I praise you that you have freed us from the, from the power of sin. And if anyone here is stuck in the power of sin, I pray that, I pray that, well, I trust that you're coming after them. 
just like you came after this demoniac. You're coming after them this morning. And I pray anyone stuck that they would run to you and you would meet them in your grace and grant them freedom from their slavery to sin, their addictions, bondage to sin. And, and I pray for all of us at whatever level that you would free us more and more and more from the power of sin as we are transformed into the image of your son Christ. So, thank you so much for this text. And we love you. We love Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And we renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.